The battle for the soul of the Republican Party took center stage in Arizona. Last week, our state saw visits from former President Donald Trump and former Vice President Mike Pence on the same day. They talked about some of the same priorities, from border security to economic growth. But their differences are now what really defines them. With thousands on hand, Trump took aim at the Biden administration and Republicans who haven't joined his false claims of a stolen election. That includes people like Pence and Governor Doug Ducey. How do you do that? How do you do that and win? You know how you do it and win? You cheat on the election. And he supported the Democrats' radical takeover of election law, H.R. 1. And your governor, Doug Ducey, has done absolutely nothing to help. Talk about rhinos. Meanwhile, in Peoria, Pence and Ducey held a more intimate gathering of hundreds of supporters in hand for gubernatorial candidate Karen Taylor Robeson. Pence didn't attack the former president in his speech. Instead, he made it clear Arizona Republicans should align themselves with true conservatives. I, I'm always happy to welcome converts to the Republican cause. <laughs> but Arizona Republicans don't need a governor that supported Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. With no real substantive differences, their stylistic differences loomed larger. The biggest difference is Trump hasn't gotten over his loss in 2020. Pence and Ducey want to move on. Both sides are battling for the future of the GOP. Trump had a much larger crowd. Does that mean he's winning? We are more with the radical left. And it's time to elect America first Republicans who are going to punch back and go on offense just like President Donald Trump. Of course, we're here because we've got a few problems to fix. So here's how we're going to do it. Day one, I take my hand off the Bible, giving the oath of office, and we declare an invasion on our southern border. What has become clear to clear to Arizona voters across this state is that Carrie Lake discovered God, guns, and the GOP about five minutes before she decided to run for governor. I know Karen well. I've known her for 30 years, and she will take the right approach as governor. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. Each week, we break down the biggest political stories and examine what you need to know about our state's politics. I'm Ron Hansen, national politics reporter for the Arizona Republic. This week, I'm joined by a gaggle regular, Stacy Barchinger. Stacy, always good to see you. Happy to be back. Thanks for having me. So I'll say it at the top. I attended the Peoria event with Mike Pence and Doug Ducey. Stacy attended the Trump event in Prescott Valley. The optics of these events were strikingly different. Peoria had about 350 people in a warehouse, with most of them sitting at tables. The 1980s music played at restaurant level. What was Prescott Valley like? Prescott Valley was pretty much the opposite of that scene. Every single speaker in the lineup that comes before President Trump comes out to a song of their choice. We had a candidate for attorney general, 
Abe Homiday, who came out to that Cops theme song, you know, Bad Boys, Bad Boys. Bad Boys, Bad Boys, what you gonna do? Arizona, this is amazing. You also had thousands of people who waited for up to 12 hours to get into this event and who maintained impressive energy throughout. They gave notorious Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio a standing ovation when he walked out onto the floor, not as part of the program, just when he was there to mingle They had a pretty impressive wave among the crowd in a lull before President Trump came out. You know, there's a period where they play music really loud and wait to get people amped up before he comes out on stage. And I mean, everybody in this 5,800 person arena was participating in this wave. It was pretty impressive. So beside the difference of the way the crowds presented themselves and and how it sounded, One other difference that stood out to me was how Pence and Ducey stayed very buttoned up and on message for Karen Taylor Robeson. This is not surprising given the personalities of the two surrogates involved here. Pence didn't even obliquely reference the January 6th hearing that took place the night before. That hearing painted a dark picture of the former president's actions on that fateful day. One thing that was new in all of the hearing was Pence's security detail actually sent farewell messages to loved ones because the situation at the U.S. Capitol seemed so dire. It was disturbing. I don't like talking about it, but um, uh, there were calls to um, say goodbye to family members, so on and so forth. It was getting, for for whatever the reason was on the ground, the BP detail thought that this was about to get very ugly. They were running out of options, and they are getting nervous. It, it, it sounds like we're, that we came very close to either service having to use legal options or, or worse. Like I, I, at that point, I don't know. By contrast, Trump did mention the committee. Stacey, what did he say and how did the crowd react to all of it? Well, you know, President Trump continued his efforts to portray the January 6th committee as illegitimate, as a witch hunt working against him. He addressed specific pieces of testimony that have come up in the committee's eight hearings. One, you know, back in June, a former aide testified that he was upset at Bill Barr's refusal to go along with the claims of election fraud, that he threw his lunch in the White House He addressed that on stage in Prescott Valley, said he would never do that because he respects the White House, made a little joke about preferring to eat his food instead of, you know, throwing it. We saw continued attacks from President Trump on the character of the witnesses who have testified before the committee. Pretty forcefully, he attacked Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers called him a coward, said he disgraced himself and the state for traveling to Washington, D.C. to testify before the committee and just, I mean, as you know, detail the former president's pressure campaign to get him to go along with these false claims. Farnsworth is going to do a fantastic job. And importantly, I have to say, you have so many advantages. That would be the guy I'd most like to run against because this guy's bad news. He thought he was going to win for a long time now. And then uh, he saw poll numbers, and he's not looking so good, meaning Bowers. He impeded election integrity and did nothing on illegal immigrants and immigration as they poured into your state. 
So I just want to, uh, David, I want to tell you, get out and win that race. That's a bad person. That's a bad person. And did the crowd have any special reaction to any of the folks who were targeted by Trump this time around? Was there uh, an especially hostile reaction to the committee or to any mention of Doug Ducey or uh, who, who got the, the worst of it, it seemed? I mean, I would say that the crowd generally loved former President Trump's attacks on the committee. I, I don't get the sense that the people that were in this arena in Prescott Valley are the people that are tuning into those committee hearings. And... Trump attacked a lot of people. He was on stage for over 90 minutes, whether it was uh, Joe Biden, whether it was Democrats as a whole, whether it was liberals or rhinos, you know, these Republicans in name only. Um, He had a lot to say about a lot of different people, and the crowd generally was eating it up. They loved it. Okay, so the reason both men were in Arizona was for their endorsements. How did the crowd react to the Trump slate? Uh, Let's start with gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake is great in front of this crowd. If there was a secondary star of the Trump show, it was Carrie Lake. Um, One example, you know, there were maybe like four or five candidates that got time on the stage before President Trump came out. They got four minutes, five minutes. Carrie Lake got 20 minutes. When President Trump was on stage... He called up Carrie Lake and U.S. Senate candidate Blake Masters. When Lake was up there, she called him Superman. He declared her the candidate who's going to crack down at the border in a way that Doug Ducey has not, according to how President Trump tells it. And this is a moment where you really saw Carrie Lake taking her time on television as a Fox anchor here in Phoenix to communicate with the crowd. There was a moment when she looks at the audience and says, I need your support. Dramatic pause. Do I have it? And the room just erupted. And then it was chance. It was Carrie, Carrie, Carrie. She knows how to speak to that room and and the room responds. The room also had a chance to respond to Senate candidate Blake Masters, who has received Trump's endorsement in that race. Uh, How did he do and how did the crowd react? So Masters also got a special call up onto the stage beside President Trump. Um, He praised Trump. You know, he declared that the country would have been ruined if Hillary Clinton had been elected and gotten, you know, many more years. The crowd responded. He got a couple of standing ovations. Uh, but again, I would just say, you know, the secondary star of this show is Carrie Lake. Anyone else get a memorable response? And I wasn't there, but as I was listening, I thought I heard some booing maybe for congressional candidate Eli Crane, whom Trump backed over State Representative Walt Blackman of Snowflake. Yeah, you're totally right. And this stands out through the course of the whole rally, you don't hear a lot of boos. And so there were, um, you know, certainly not coming from everybody, but there were some distinct noises of disapproval for Eli Crane, um, the businessman from Tucson. But I'm just as confused as President Trump about what that means. You know, he made a comment after he heard the boos of like, well, but you still like me though, right? Okay. So in Peoria, they were there to endorse Karen Taylor Robeson, but Pence let Carrie Lake have it as well. He joked about her being a Democrat until she decided to run for governor and implied she isn't a real Republican. This isn't a new line of attack, but is it an effective one? I think this matters to some voters and not to others. And 
I am saying that from my very unscientific approach of being out at campaign events, both for Carrie Lake and her opponent, Karen Taylor Robeson, and talking to their voters, asking them this question of whether it matters. For some voters, it really does. They think that she is not loyal to the conservative cause. For others, they brush it aside as just an attack on Lake's history. Lake has really, really embraced this on the campaign trail. I think every event that she has had that I have been to, she talks about it. She talks about being a Democrat at one point. She also always references the notable Republicans who also, you know, quote, saw the light and left the Democratic Party among them, President Trump, Ronald Reagan. I think attacking her political history speaks to a traditional campaign strategy in a very untraditional post-Trump world. I don't know how much it matters to voters that she once was a Democrat and now is a Trump-endorsed conservative. For what it's worth, I don't think there was much to be gleaned from the response to Karen Taylor Robeson at the event I attended. That was largely an invite-only event. So the people who were there basically had to be in the Robeson camp. That's why they were on hand for it. Plus, it was just a much smaller event. It, It was much more intimate. So the sample size is certainly greater for the Trump event by a lot, and it had more of an open-ended opportunity there for different voices and factions of the Republican Party. But as you said, it was Carrie Lake's night if it wasn't Donald Trump's. You've been covering the governor's race all year, Stacy. What is the state of the GOP primary now? We've seen some polling that shows this seems to have tightened up with these kinds of mega endorsements and such. How might those affect this race, if at all? Yeah, well, as you said, I think it's a very close race between Carrie Lake and Karen Taylor Robeson in the GOP primary. So from one perspective, any big name that you can get into this state to, you know, back you up and sway whatever number of, you know, remaining undecided voters we have a week out, that's going to help. I also think, you know, it's good reminders that people need to return their ballots by the deadline that they need to go vote on August 2nd. If there was a subtext to the Peoria event, it's the fact that it was even happening is something that reflected a vulnerability sensed among some Republicans that Donald Trump no longer has a vice-like grip on the Republican Party, that Republican voters are increasingly open to the idea of somebody other than Trump as the head of the party, at least in presidential contests, Um, Governor Ducey was more than just a spectator at the Peoria event. He clapped back at a Carrie Lake tweet that attacked him by tweeting a video of Trump praising Ducey in 2020. But he's a great governor, one of the greatest governors. He's done a fantastic job. You're down to very low numbers, by the way. Doug Ducey, Doug. Ducey hit Lake in a national TV appearance a few days before the events. So what's he doing with all of this? What's his angle? You know, it's really interesting to see how critical Governor Ducey has been of Carrie Lake. This is a governor who, when I first started covering him, famously invoked Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment of not speaking ill of another Republican. And now he's speaking ill of Republican Carrie Lake on CNN and on Twitter in campaign appearances for her opponent. I suspect it reflects his powerful position 
in Republican politics as the leader of the Republican Governors Association. He holds a lot of sway with donors and other Republican politicians. I would throw it out there, even though if I asked him this question, he would probably like roll his eyes and laugh that Governor Ducey might be looking at his own political future and wondering what is next for him. He's out of office early next year. And I think there's a lot of possibility about where he goes next. So there's more happening than the governor's race. The Trump endorsement is seen as influential in some races, less so perhaps in others. What else is on the ballot right now where Trump's effect is notable for either reason? I'm interested to see if Trump's endorsement in Arizona races has a greater impact down ballot. Some of these elections for attorney general, where there's six Republican candidates, for secretary of state, where there's four, you know, Trump has picked his favorites in those races. And I think a late in the race endorsement and visit to Arizona could really make a difference there when you have people who are just tuning in. More candidates means you could win with a smaller, you know, smaller margin. Um, So I think that's one area that will be interesting to see if he can get his candidates over the finish line. Speaking of the finish line, one of the really sort of interesting wild cards in 2022 coming off the election that was hotly disputed even to this day by Trump and and some in his party is the way that we vote. Carrie Lake, like Donald Trump, said she's not a fan of mail-in voting, which is the dominant way that people cast their ballots in Arizona. Trump called for paper ballots, something Arizona uses exclusively, including when he won the state in 2016 and when he lost it in 2020. Lake also warned people off from using the drop boxes at polling sites. How did the crowd react to the specific issues of how to vote? Well, so when President Trump talked about them, it was, you know, he was speaking to his friendly audience. It was cheers, applause. There was this, frankly, sort of awkward moment when Carrie Lake was talking to the crowd, encouraging people to go home and vote for her, of course, and the other candidates. But she told them to go home, mail in their ballots, but don't use the drop boxes. And it just, a couple people clapped. It wasn't the, you know, rock star like applause. And so she says, you know, very quickly, well, I guess no one has a mail in and moves on. Probably one of the most like awkward moments of the rally. But I wouldn't go so far as to project that lack of response as some sort of reflection of what this crowd believes except for this moment, you know, they were cheering and just eating it up when President Trump made his claims that the election was stolen. I know from some of the Republicans I've spoken with, they are bothered by this whole issue continuing to hang over voting in 2022 for the people who really have to herd resources and figure out where they want to expend their time and money. It's really frustrating to have people shift from early voting to day of voting. It creates a lot of anxiety among the folks who have to try and bring party resources to bear to make sure people turn out. It doesn't matter as much in primaries because, by definition, it's Republicans voting in Republican primaries plus independents who choose to do so. But in the general election, 
it's really kind of a frustrating mix if they don't know who's casting their ballots and when. And it seems to be something that is continuing to hang over this thing. Hi, Gaggle listeners. Did you know that you can carry the Arizona Republic in your pocket? Just download the AZ Central app onto your phone and stay on top of the news that matters to you. Stacey, the governor's race obviously is close. It looks like Pence and Ducey are content to challenge Trump's primacy in Republican politics in a way that was unthinkable not that long ago. Yeah, I think that's right. But I would put a but on that. I mean, I think it's important to note that Pence and Ducey are not outwardly criticizing the former president. They seem to be in a separate faction of the Republican Party. Governor Ducey certainly certified the election, famously silenced President Trump's phone call to him the day that he was, you know, witnessing the certification. There's this interesting dynamic in Republican politics as we're learning about what Trump's grip on the GOP is. And you have establishment Republican candidates like Mike Pence and Doug Ducey, who have stood up to his false claims of fraud, but are not hitting the campaign trail actively campaigning against President Trump by any means. A lot of the times, the gubernatorial primary is seen through this lens, too, of Trump Republicans and establishment Republicans. And that's for good reason. But it's also worth noting that our establishment candidate, Karen Taylor Robeson, is a big Donald Trump fan. She voted for him. She fundraised for him, she and her husband. So the few Republicans out there who are taking on Donald Trump are not in this race. They weren't here last week for these dueling campaign events. You have this very careful treatment of the former president as nationally we sort of reevaluate or try to learn what his power is today. I agree with all of that. And I, I would say that the story we worked on for after these events made an important point. Stan Barnes, you talked to him about this being sort of an interesting experiment in how these kinds of campaigns are waged. We have on the one hand a, a campaign flush with money and, and traditional resources, some very high profile endorsements like we just saw. But on the other, you've got the ultimate personality driven campaign that is able to marshal attention whenever Carrie Lake seems to want it. It really does add an interesting operational contrast between these two. Um, any any other thoughts on what Stan said or, or just as you ponder what to make of these campaigns as we reach these final days? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that sticks out is, you know, as Stan said, it's about the one race, but it's also about what the Republican Party looks like in Arizona in the next couple of years or four years. I think that that's something that has been sort of figuring itself out since what? Well, you know better than me, 2016, maybe later than that. Um, but you really have these two candidates that in terms of style, in terms of campaign strategy, are just vastly different. And it's going to be up to primary voters in just less than a week now to figure out what direction we head in. Well, Stacy, thank you for sharing your thoughts on all this. It's always a pleasure to have you here on The Gaggle. 
If people want to follow your work, where can they find you on Twitter? You can track me down on Twitter at sbarchinger. It's S-B-A-R-C-H-E-N-G-E-R. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions about Arizona's political landscape? Contact us if you do at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. Or leave us a message at 602-444-0804. And don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. You can follow her at Kaylee Monahan. That's K-A-E-L-Y-M-O-N-A-H-A-N. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week. <laughs>